So my lead question for you today, that sounds funky, man, fix me, fix me. My ADD's kicking in already, I haven't even got started. Yeah, how did Jesus ever get along without this stuff? Here's my lead question for you. Raise your hand if you've ever been in love. Now, every husband ought to have his hand lifted high right now, or you're just a fool and a dang fool at that. So, did you have your hand up, Justin? Okay, I didn't catch you. Okay. So, so many of you have been in love or are in love with some person, the man of your dreams, the woman of your dreams, and I want you to think about how that changed you, how you became so occupied by that person. How you felt when you were with them. How you longed to be with them when you weren't with them, yes? How it caused you to do ridiculous things. Caused you to say weird stuff. No poogie pie. (laughs) Being in love causes you to do weird things. It causes you to think strange things. It changes your value system. Being in love... It causes you to spend your money in weird ways, yeah? That's what being in love does. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is just like that. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is being in love with the person of God. And it changes everything. You cherish the times that you're with Him. You long for the time... To be with them when you're apart. Stop me when I'm wrong. You say weird stuff. Some churches teach that you, in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to speak in tongues. And we don't particularly teach that here, although many of us speak in tongues. We don't teach that that's a definitive evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But I might as well warn you, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're probably going to say some strange stuff. And you're going to spend your money in different ways and you're going to make crazy decisions that you never thought you'd make because being filled with the Holy Spirit is enjoying the dynamic of being in love with the person of God. So last week I launched a series of undetermined length. (laughs) Those are the scary ones, aren't they? We're still not through Romans. (laughs) of undetermined length, uh, a series entitled Filled, because I think, I believe, central to the experience of being a Christian is to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That it's not an optional thing for people who want to call themselves charismatics. That central, central to the whole concept of even being a Christian at all is to be one who's been embraced by, filled with, controlled by the Holy Spirit. So I started a series last week and tried to show you convincingly from the book of Acts that the whole concept of being baptized in the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts was to complete something that John the Baptist had begun. Because John the Baptist, it says very openly in many parts in the scripture, was only, was only one who could bring a person to the place of repentance. And his was a baptism of repentance. And so he brought people to repentance. But he could not do something that Jesus could do, and Jesus only did it after he died and rose again. And so in that first chapter of Acts, when Jesus said, I want you guys to go and wait 
for the promise that my father made. You know, John baptized you for repentance, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That now that I'm risen from the dead and ascending to the Father, then I'll be able to complete that promise of God sending the Holy Spirit. And so the great paradigm shift between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, was given to certain prophets, priests, and kings principally. And in the New Testament, the prophecy of Joel is being fulfilled that he says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh so that every single person who calls on the name of Jesus ought to expect the dynamic of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I told you that I was alarmed by so much of the American gospel that only brings a person to the baptism of repentance, which is an important aspect of becoming a Christian. You know, do you repent of your sin? Do you have sorrow for your sin? Do you confess your sin? Do you believe in Jesus as the one who died for your sin? Yes, yes, yes. Congratulations, you're a Christian. Congratulations, you're half of a Christian. Because the other half, then, is to be embraced by the Holy Spirit. And so the whole book of Acts, they're saying, what baptism did you receive? Well, we received John's baptism. Well, here's the rest of it. Bam, onomatopoeia. There it was. But we don't have to do it that way. The baptism of the Holy Spirit does not have to be what some churches call the second definite work. It's the other half of the work of salvation. And so being filled with the Holy Spirit is something that is meant for every single person who calls in the name of Jesus. And this week I want to start cracking open the question, what does it even mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Uh, To do this part of it, I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to Galatians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 26. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we'll put it up on the screen behind me. If you do have a Bible and you're new to it and you're saying, what's a Galatian? It's about three-eighths of an inch from the back, all right? Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. And Galatians is one in a series of passages in the New Testament that are called epistles, which is a fancy word for letters. And these are letters written, in this case, from this guy Paul that we talk about every now and then here. This guy Paul, and uh, he wrote this to the Christians who lived in this particular city. And the, the, the occasion for writing any of this is that these people were being robbed. They'd come to Jesus, they'd come to the power of the Holy Spirit, and they were enjoying the move of God among them. And then these, these legalists came in and they said, oh, you're doing it all wrong, man. You can't have this much fun and be a Christian. And they tried to lay the law on them. And Paul goes, man, if you accept the law back, you're rejecting the grace that God gives you. And so that's the whole sort of context of this whole passage. I'm going to start in chapter 3, verse 26, because principally I think there's something God wants to speak to us here. He says, you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Did you know that? You are sons and daughters of the living God by works? Because you're doing such a great job at walking it out? No, by faith. You have faith in Jesus today? Yes or no? Okay, if you have faith, trust in Jesus, the Bible says you're a son and daughter of the living God. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And, and catch this. Look at how all of the barriers break down in Jesus. There's neither Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. There are no distinctions. I mean, you could even insert like there's no Buckeye Wolverine. I know, that would be like a faith statement for many of you. But there are no distinctions, there are no differences between us because Jesus draws us together as one. And Mike and I were one. 
And there's no difference in our color, and there's no difference in our language. There's no difference in our background because we're made one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, verse 29, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. God made a promise to Abraham that he would bless all the nations through him. And so anybody who was born into the family of Abraham was, was set up to receive that promise. And, and what Paul's saying here is that by faith in Jesus Christ, we are now heirs of the promise to receive the blessing of Christ. And, he, and then he makes this really brilliant analogy. He says, what I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave. So catch this. So if a kid, you know, someone is an heir, perhaps in a wealthy household, yet they're still a child, they still have to do what mom and dad say, right? They're still under that. Even though they are, you know, kind of potentially the owners of this great estate. Uh, although he owns the whole estate. Chapter, or verse 2, he is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. That's key. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. Before Jesus came, there was no hope. There was no hope for us. He said, but when the time had fully come, that's the time set by the Father's own authority, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law, to rescue us. I'm Jesus Christ, here to get you out, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son. Who's the spirit of his son? Well, there's only one spirit. So that's got to be the Holy Spirit. So he said, now that because we're sons, by faith, God sent the spirit of his son, the Holy Spirit, into our hearts. Now here's the part that's so key for us. And the spirit inside of us then calls out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. This word that means dad. This word that means daddy. So that everything changes when we, when we receive the Spirit. So that God isn't this far-off wizard, you know. He's not this, oh, most infinite Jehovah, holy God. Avert your eyes. Avert your eyes. A little Monty Python there for a few of you. But God says, I hate it when you do that. I sent my son so you don't have to avert your eyes, Hebrews says. Hebrews said, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith because of what Jesus did for us. So he says, come on in. And so when the Holy Spirit comes in us, something changes. God isn't far off, but he indwells us, and we, we call him even something different. We call him Dad. We call him Daddy. Because he has made this possible through his son, Jesus Christ, in the power of his Holy Spirit. So, I want you to think about the person with whom you are in love. And there was a time when you weren't in love with him or her. You didn't know them. You, there was some potential that some, that person existed out there somewhere. And it probably wasn't love at first sight. I mean, it was with Karen, obviously. But, you know, she saw me and like, hmm, who could turn this down? But the person with whom you're in love, you know, they existed apart. They existed in your mind. And then you met them. The arrows... Cupid were fired, and you fell hopelessly in love, and everything changed. And this is what the Bible is saying, is that, you know, God is, is, is thought of as far off. You know, so we kind of have to email our prayers to him, send. Oh, I hope that gets there. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, he says, okay, now I'm right here. And Jesus has, has covered all of your sin 
So he says, just call me dad. Just call me dad. And, and so being filled with the Holy Spirit is to, be, is to be captured by and saturated with the person of God. The person of God. Did you get that? I think one of the great misconceptions about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit is the way that it's marketed. And it's kind of marketed like, okay, Harry, now you need the juice of God. You know, you've got this relationship with God the Father, righteous, holy God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died for you. Great. Now you need the juice. Bam! Right? And so it's like, clear! Tunk. But there is no person there. I think we come by this naturally. I mean, the Bible says that God is one God in three persons. Have you got to this part yet? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're all equally God, and they're equally person. But I think we have a great problem with what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit because we don't get, we're not embracing what it means to be captured by and saturated with the person of God, the Holy Spirit. Because here's how it breaks down. When you start... When you start thinking about Jesus, if I say Jesus, a picture comes to your mind, right? Of course, because we haven't seen your picture. You've seen it. We have the senior picture of Jesus. And so we have that in our hands, and so a picture immediately comes to mind. If I say, if I say God the Father, probably an image of some really old guy, right? Stop me when I'm wrong. White hair, flowing white hair flowing white beard, flowing white robe. Why? Because this picture is made up by white people. <laughs> and it's our favorite color. But is it, do we not embrace that kind of a concept? Okay, so I can picture the son, and you know, I can picture the father, and then, okay, now picture the person of the Holy Spirit. And things start to break down, don't they? It starts to get sort of vaporish. I mean, it doesn't help that he's called the Holy Ghost. That doesn't help at all. But he's a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. And yet it's nearly impossible for us to come up with a body image for him, isn't it? Well, maybe therein lies the lesson. That the person is not the body. That the person is something deeper than the body. You know, you're looking at me right now, and you're saying, well, there's Tom, tall, bald, strikingly handsome. There's the person. And what you're thinking about is the shell. And the shell is breaking down big time. <laughs> I'm on extended warranty right now. But the shell breaks down, right? But that's not the person. And so the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 2, it says, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So the body wears out, the body goes away, the body perishes, but that's not the person. The person is going to heaven. In a resurrected body, there is physical reality in heaven, absolutely. In a resurrected body, in a perfected body, and so we need to think of ourselves more like hermit crabs. 
you know, who live in a shell for a while and they go, I've had enough of this place, I've outgrown it, I'm going to go live in a bigger shell. And that's what heaven is. But it's the person behind the shell. So let's apply that to this concept of being indwelt by the person of God. So the Holy Spirit is a person. So you can't come up with a body image, big deal. It's the person of God. It's the person of God that wants to come in and dwell us. And when that happens, everything changes. And this is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because we're changed, we're gripped from the inside out. And so, you know, so much of what we talk about in being filled with the Holy Spirit in these circles is about the effect of the Holy Spirit. Because we like that. Because we like the juice, don't we? Come on, raise your hand if you like the juice. See, the Holy Spirit comes and some cool stuff happens, and you're like, oh, that was cool. Yes? And I love the juice. I'm a juicer. I love the juice. I love to see the effect of the Holy Spirit. I do. And I love, I love to lay hands on sick people and see them get well. I love, I love to see God deliver somebody from demonic oppression in front of me. That's powerful. I love to see the effects of the Holy Spirit. But that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the person of God living in me. And if I never saw any more of the juice, but I could have this knowledge, that the Holy Spirit is living in me, bringing out the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, and turning me, turning me from a man of pride to humility, turning me from the inside out, from a man of selfishness to generosity, turning me as a natural man of revenge to a man of kindness, and giving kindness, that's the, that's the radical nature of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So sometimes people come to a church like ours and they experience the dynamic, the effect of the Holy Spirit, and they say, but when I leave, I don't have it. First of all, it's not an it, it's a him. And yeah, you do. If he indwells you, he goes with you wherever you go. And everything changes. Because you're in love. Now you're in love. Everything changes when you're in love, right? Let me show you some things that change when you're in love with God by being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. What's the first one? I forget. But yeah, your understanding of who God is will change as you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Your understanding of who he even is will change. You know, that conception of God that you were taught that God puts a little black mark in his book every time you do something bad? Got some pretty hideous pages on there, don't we? It'll change when you are indwelt by the person of God and you will understand his loving embrace. Next, your, your sense of the perpetual nearness of God will change. God will not be far off, but he'll be right here. Your prayer life will change as you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You know one thing I do every now and then, it, it's a little bit silly. I'll just take an empty chair and set it next to me. Say, hey, Dad, here's what I need to talk with you about today. It's a little silly, maybe. But that's how far away he is. He's right there. That's a result of being indwelt 
being in love with him. Next one. Your understanding of God's never-changing love for you will change. This is so key. I have so many American Christians living in this shame-based, guilt-driven Christianity and trying to, trying to measure up to a God who already says, you got nothing to prove. My son Jesus already proved it for you. Come in his name. And when you're indwelt by him, your concept of his love for you will dramatically increase. Your desire to more fully worship and more deeply experience the reality of God will change. You know, you look around sometimes and you see these people who are engaged in worship and you go, what's up with that? How do you get there? You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It creates, a, it creates an appetite, a passionate appetite inside of us to experience Him, to worship Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. What else will happen? Your access to the power of God for living victoriously will change. How many of you could use a little more power to overcome temptation? Nobody? Eleven of you? Seriously, out of all these people? When we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, our access to the power of God to overcome... You know, when God's far off in our minds, when He's out there, it's like, oh man, I hope He's not watching today, right? Come on, fess up. I hope He's not watching today. I hope He didn't see that. Even though in our minds, we know He sees everything. See, the whole thing changes when He's not out there and we're trying to get away with something. The whole thing changes when He's right here and we say, Dad, I'm getting attacked. Holy Spirit, get Him. Sick Him. What's next? Your understanding of the Bible as the true manifesto for daily living will change. Have, have, you, have you tried long enough and hard enough at this thing to finally decide that you're never going to accomplish it? Anybody? Have you lived like me for a while, like, oh, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to fill my head with it, and I'm going to work really hard, and I'm going to be really, yeah. How well is that working out so far? You see, when you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the whole concept of what the Bible is comes alive and changes. So when I read the Sermon on the Mount and say, I don't anymore say, man, I suck at this, I go, I am so grateful that Jesus made up the difference between me and this. And that's being filled by the Holy Spirit, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. What else will change? Your worldview and the way you look at others will change. Your whole worldview, the way... The whole thing about the world in which you are set, the other people, the people with whom you share 270 on the way to work will change. Your love for these people in this room will change as you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And we got to have this because we're a tough bunch to love, aren't we? We're a pretty ragged bunch here. We get on each other's nerves. We say things we shouldn't say. But the redemptive nature of Jesus Christ inside of us is the thing, by indwelling the Holy Spirit, the redemptive nature of Jesus living inside of us is the thing that allows me to look at all of you and say, I love you, and mean it. And it allows you to look back at me and say, I love you too, Tom. But that's Jesus living inside by the power of his Holy Spirit. So I just want to get to a point this morning, that's all we have time for, is where... You know, we can just say, 
Okay, so I want to get beyond this concept that being filled with the Holy Spirit is to be charismatic or to be juiced, you know, with the jumper cables or whatever. But it's like, I want to get to the place where the Holy Spirit is a person indwelling me. And if that results in some crazy stuff, great. But more importantly, would you get hold of my character? Because I don't want this to be a church where people come to get the juice and then go out and don't have the juice. I want this to be a church where people come and receive the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, so our character is changed and we go out and be change agents in a society such as ours. That's what I want. That's what you want. That's the more important thing. And so one of the things I don't feel led to do this morning, much like last week, I didn't feel led to have ministry, which was a real surprise to me too, by the way. That's, when those words came out of my mouth, I was as surprised as you. Somebody came up to me and said, boy, that was a real cliffhanger. I said, yeah, I was hanging on the same cliff. Because <laughs> we're real used to here at this point, you know, I start talking slower. <laughs> and you know we're going to move into ministry. I don't feel like that's, I don't feel like that's the Holy Spirit's agenda for us. I feel like he just wants to move us incrementally through this together so that you guys who are beginners can come through. You guys who are not beginners but have come through some pretty twisted, distorted perceptions can come through. And these guys who have it right will just rejoice in coming through. And there will be a time when the Holy Spirit falls out on this church. But it'll be a time of his choosing, not my manipulation, ramping up the crowd. So stick with us. Here's a prayer I would pray if I were you this morning. I would pray, Father, I would, uh, I would like for you to indwell me by your person. I'd like to be captured by and saturated by the person of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to... I'd like to know you as a person, Holy Spirit. I want to move from, from seeing you in whatever ways that are less than personal to, to a way where you are the third person of God, the third face of God. So, Lord, I put myself before you now, and I ask for you to continue the work that you have done inside of me now. Continue the work that you are beginning inside of me to change my, even my perception of you, Holy Spirit, so that you can come and be personally indwelling me. I pray, Lord, that you'll correct my misunderstandings. You'll, you'll heal my, my wounds from maybe being manipulated in the past with these teachings. You'll touch me, Lord, that you'll You'll conquer my fears, the things that cause me to resist the fullness of your Holy Spirit in me. You'll overcome my prejudices, Lord, about what this has to be like. And I pray now, Father, that you will come and that you will bless me with a clear understanding. I want you to indwell me, Lord. I want this to be true. I want what's being said here to be true, that you want to come and fulfill the promises of your Bible. I want this to be true. If you could just pray that, Lord, I I want this to be true. I want it to be true that you want to come and indwell me 
so I don't have to walk this out by myself. I don't have to do it with my own effort. That I don't have to pretend things are happening when they're not happening. So come, Lord. And use today as another incremental step toward the fullness of your Holy Spirit in my life. Remove any sin in my life, Lord, that I'm holding on to. Would you come and help me, cause me to let go of that so that I can hold on to you? Right now, we just give ourselves over to you, Lord, and ask for you to move us in ways that you see fit now in Jesus' name. Amen.